0: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 300 of the More Than Just Code podcast. We made it! Woo! Um, my name is Tim Mitchell, and I am in Toronto, Ontario. I'm going to be joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we also have Mark Rubin on the line in San Jose, California. Already three hundred. What do you What do you think? I mean, we were talking about this a couple of months ago, right? So here we are. Time flies. Yeah.
1: What did we accidentally say last time? Three thousand. Which would <laughs> take 000. us about six years. It would take us almost sixty years to get to three thousand.
2: Hey, 16? we'll still be we'll be doing it. We'll be there. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. It'll be it'll be robot Tim and robot Mark and. Greg right. Jaime.
1: <laughs> we'll, be, uh, we'll be like, it'll be a, hey, Mark, you know, hey, Jaime. Our digitally uploaded consciousness. Exactly, just Like, yeah. uh, like exactly. Amazon's Upload, which I do as a, as a sneak pick here. I finished up that series. It's pretty good. Check it out. It's free Oh, yeah, Prime. I watched that one, too. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It was pretty good. It ends on a bit of a cliffhanger, if I'm not mistaken, right? It does. Yeah, yeah. Cool. It's funny, when I was watching it on Prime, I just sort of sat there and, and binged it. It's pretty quick. I think it's only half an hour each episode, right, or something like that? Mm-hmm, um, hmm anyway so i'm watching it and i think it went to like the seventh episode and then it just stopped right and i went and it, that was like a huge cliffhanger right and uh and i went that's odd <laughs> and then I, like I just, a
2: sopranos ending stop that kind of
0: stuff well no it was like uh somebody says oh my god and then you know the dun, 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 dun. credits roll right and then and, hmm. and i thought oh are they doing like a like a teaser or is it a short season or half a season whatever and i don't know it was a good day, good time for me to stop that day so i basically just you know i i you know stopped the the prime and and then, then I went and looked at the episodes and realized oh, well, there were three more episodes so it was good to but yeah it was, it was a sort of a that would have been a really interesting place to stop the series right for the, for the season kind of like you know Lacutus, what you
1: know <laughs> it sounds like it was a bug in the system that normally checks to see if you're still awake or if you passed out on your couch yeah, during maybe, a yeah, massive yeah. binge that's
0: well I think Prime does that um, are you still here kind of thing right or do you still mm-hmm. want to watch this right yep. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Netflix does that for sure alrighty um, yeah so let's, let's dig in we got some, some fact checks from last week, uh, so I was, I was just going to look up before we got to the show here. Um, SwiftIO, as I mentioned last week, is was our first uh, Swift conference in Toronto last year, uh, which has you know been a long time coming. And uh, Paul Hudson was one of the key was one of the speakers there. Um, he will be doing they transitioning from uh, from a conference conference. They were trying to figure out how to do that to uh, basically an all day uh, workshop um, with an with online component. So and that'll be hosted by Paul Hudson. He'll be doing something Swifty, I'm sure. I forget exactly what the deal, what, what he was going to be talking about. But yeah, so I think the ticket pricing is the same. I have an early bird ticket, but I think I want to say roughly 200 bucks was sort of my gut. Maybe we can look it up here. Um, I was trying to Google it before we started. Yeah, so it's taking place on August 13th, and it will be, what is the price? 0 to $500, I oh, can't be right. Oh, $205 Canadian is the early bird, 295 is general admission. That's what they have so far. And then they have sponsored tickets. And I believe there's also a, um, oh, I had a super early bird. Ticket is What I had. Um, I think it's a one-day conference. I don't know if it's two, but anyway, we'll, we'll follow up on that, or I'll look it up later. While maybe Jaime's doing his bit. Um, yeah. So that's that's Swift-TO. and the second thing I was talking about, uh, and the graphic from last week's uh, show, I found. A f- I actually found the artwork while we were chatting after the show, um, which was which is a vil- velociraptor and a Chinese um, icon. There, uh, the colors surprisingly, as Jaime pointed out are, are the uh, the raptor, Ronald raptor colors. You know that red and, and that sort of purple color. Um, that was actually a joint exhibition between China and Canada that took place between 1988 and 1990 and so in 91 was when Carol and I were at Edmonton to talk about doing banners for we did the banners for the for the exhibition and stuff like that but uh, flags and banners um, but so it wasn't uh, I don't think the, I think the Velociraptor was found in China in Asia but it was a joint uh, archaeological dig thing or whatever it is those guys do is it archaeologists that dig dinosaur bones? Paleontologists right? Paleontologists that's correct yeah, so it was, a, it was a joint Canadian-Chinese thing. So, cool. And then, so yeah, it wasn't the Albertosaurus, as, as Harmi kind of pointed out. So that is the follow-up for this week, unless you guys have something else. Nope. All right, so we've got the AskMTJC. Oh, look, it's me. So should I just take these and run with them, honey A couple of yours that you tagged with hashtag MTJC on Twitter. Yeah, and surprisingly, I am going to talk a little bit about the, the Mac here. But yeah, I mean, like immediately, um, I mean, I spend a lot of time in Safari on my Mac, especially when I'm editing the, the podcast, so, you know, my very left-hand um Um, tab is the podcast show notes. The second tab in is the, is the the backend for editing the podcast. Um, And then, you know, then I have various pages open through the week and I leave them all open all the time. And I might have, I'm looking at my screen right now. I've got like roughly 10 that I can see. And then there's a whole slew of them to the right, which are all truncated underneath the thing. But what I discovered was that in before I had the touch bar Mac, I had, um, and I, and the story is at work, we're, we're locked down with, with Chrome and, you know, we're, we're on managed Mac. So I can't, I really couldn't experience the touch bar kind of experience there, but because Chrome doesn't seem to do the same thing with a touch bar. Um, but yeah, there's a scrubber on Safari. Fari and uh, yeah so immediately like as soon as I discovered that I'm like oh my god I can just flip from, from one page to the other just by uh, by touching it and even when I was I was in, in, in sneak peek here or spoilers for later on the show I was looking at Kylo uh, Loco's um, tutorial here and I was able to you know stop and start the uh, the video from like you can normally, normally do it with the touch bar or the, or the space bar of course but you can also touch the uh, touch uh, use the touch bar to, to pause and start the video and um, you can also scrub around in video when you're watching it, so so I mean, um, as much as we say, you know, people hate the trackpad or the touch bar. I've I've sort of been a mild fan of it. I mean, I've used it a little bit at work and I use it to lock my Mac and that kind of stuff when I get away from my desk and things like that, and adjust the sound volume. But uh, it was just kind of handy, um, you know, as opposed to having the actual hardware keys like you have on. I have my own, on my Logitech keyboard. On my, my iPad has them, and, and my old Mac did too. So yeah, the tr- touch bar, like immediate love for this this uh, trackpad or touch bar deal.
2: Man, boy. Tim and showing his face. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking
0: of fanboy Tim, uh, and and I have to admit to to Greg, he, he was looking at because I it's funny when I cropped this picture. If he's on Twitter, if you I don't know if you went over and looked at it, Mark, but but I made sure I got the escape key in the, in the crop, right? Mm-hmm. Because I didn't realize that I was getting an actual hardware escape key, right? Not, I'd, like i like, and I said before, I'm not a huge escape key user myself. I don't, I, and maybe I'm, I fail as a programmer because I don't use it that much. But um,
2: how do you escape at, from things then?
0: Command period.
2: Uh, okay,
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, so Sorry, Apple period, you know, yeah. if, you really want to, if you really want to get down into it. Is, that, uh, yeah, in so Greg,
1: is that like, a, is that automatically bound on uh, macOS? No, it just, command
0: period in? seems to be a cancel for a lot of, a cancel kill for a lot of different things, right? So, yeah. Uh, oh, uh, no, yeah, you're, I guess you're right. I do use the escape key when I'm when I'm doing a code completion, right? Like if I start typing and it doesn't come up, I hit, or if I'm hitting a property and I hit a period or whatever, and I go too far and I want to, I, yeah, you're right. I do hit the escape key to do that. We get the code completion to come up, right? Mm-hmm. Or the, What do you mm-hmm. call it? That's what you call it, the hints, right, in Xcode. Um, yeah, so I guess I do use it. Oh, what do I know? But uh, yeah, I, there's no fingerprint, no markings on my escape key. I just looked at it again. It's still in pristine. Greg, Greg uh, friend of the show, Greg Heo, um, was was admiring the escape key on that as well. And then um, uh, Nick Alibar um, pointed out that uh, if you use um, favorites folders, which I have a screenshot of my favorite folders here, I do organize my favorites into, into folders, and I've got like a podcast one. I've got a couple of app ones, related ones. Um, yeah, when you navigate into one of those tabs, the uh, the track bar changes into uh, a choose, uh, sort of a selector, so you can select through the different uh, um, shortcuts you have saved in your in your Safari browser as well. So that was a great tip from uh, from Nitten Thank you, thanks for that. I think that's the is that the extent of the Ascending JC. Honey? There was two of them, right? Yeah, just those two. Yeah. Cool. Oh no, it's oh, yeah. This one here, uh, I put this one on because because um, I was actually surprised at how small the the MacBook Pro is. Like you know, I, I know I'd, I'd seen them in, inside of uh, uh, Staples, and it, it didn't really sort of register in my brain that, because they had the old style MacBook Air there, like the 20, I guess, 18 or whatever it was, last iteration, uh, the one that doesn't have Touch ID on it, and, or does not new one have Touch ID? I can't remember. But the new, I was looking at the new MacBook Air when it came out last year, and it's the same footprint as as the 13 Pro, so that's when I kind of, my, my thinking went, well, I might as well just get the 13 Pro, glad I did. Um, and a lot of people are lamenting the fact that there's no longer a MacBook Air 11. Right? And well, Carol has one, right? So I was sitting at the kitchen table with her the other day, and I thought, well, give me your computer. So I put her down, put it down on top of the MacBook Pro 13 and took a picture of it. And as you can see, it is just barely taller and longer than a MacBook Air 11. So this is pretty much a good candidate. If we ever get back to air travel, this is a good candidate for traveling with, because I take Carol's I used to take Carol's lap, uh, laptop with me when I want to like open up on, a, on an airplane tray or whatever. And then just for, for the sake of science, um, I took another picture, which is further down, of um, of, and this is on my Twitter feed um, of the MacBook Pro. Sorry, MacBook Air 13 2013 on the bottom, the MacBook Pro 2020 in the middle, and then the 11 on top. And you can see they're just barely. You can see how much bigger the old MacBook Air is, right, in, in that bottom shot, right? So how do of the course,
2: screens compare?
0: Um, well, the 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 MacBook uh, Pro doesn't have the bezel around. You know, like the half inch or three quarter of an inch bezel that's all the way around the mm-hmm. metal bezel, mm-hmm. right? Because old old screens didn't have didn't have the they had a bezel on them, and because they didn't go edge to edge, so the glass goes edge to edge here with the, with the rubber uh, washer sort of effect. Around so, the MacBook the outside. Pro then
2: is much bigger in terms of screen size. Yeah,
0: and actually, I was just I was actually just doing um, some screen. And, and plus, it's also Retina, right? Whereas the the MacBook Air is not Retina. The, at least the 2013 is not Retina. And I don't think the new one is. Well, I think the new one is. But but in terms of the actual size of the like pixel density or whatever, I think it's it's larger. It's taller on the MacBook Pro um, mm-hmm. than the old 2013, right? Right. anyway we'll talk a bit yeah. more about the macro, macro I, I gotta
2: macro. say you're you're sort of burying the lead in this picture because the first time i looked at it i thought you were showing off how much smaller the top one was than the than the, the bottom one no yeah <laughs> no you're
1: gonna follow the progression as tim creates the taco Bell stack taco
2: yeah <laughs> sort yeah. of effect with all these Macs
0: yeah the first shot is actually is actually the Mac the 11 inch sitting on top of the new 13. Mm-hmm. no i get uh, it i get
2: it now but i have to look closely to get it yeah well, yeah
0: yeah yeah and then and then the bottom bottom shot is 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 uh, is like the Mac that I you know I would have brought to California with me last year um, or yeah last year and then um, yeah so the 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 one with the Kandinsky yellow skin on the bottom that's my my 13 inch and then in the middle is the new 13 2020 13 inch and you see it's it's thinner and narrower right or not as yeah yes narrower but yeah the, but you're right the screen the screen pixel size resolution whatever you want to call it is is much bigger and actually I should check that because you know I have accessibility settings on here so my, it may have inherited my display settings from the old machine. No, it's a default for this display, it says. No. And plus, plus this, also this phone, no, sorry, this phone, this uh, MacBook Air screen, it, it's retina, it has uh, night shift, it has true tone and all that kind of stuff. So it looks completely different than than uh, the other screen. It's it's much cleaner, like sharper looking, you know, than the, than the, pre, than the, the 2013 one. And you know, mm-hmm. TLDR, Mark, I would buy like, I know you were in the market for a new computer, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. you're, you're still rocking a 2013 something or other, right? yeah yeah just in terms of processor speed and smoothness and that kind of stuff like night it's like butter compared to and I, don't forget i'm a lover i love my old macbook Air 13 right this this new computer is like it's like night and day like comparison speed wise compiling wise you know just using the keyboard and and uh, how it looks too so it's it's and it's surprisingly not i mean i mean yeah i mean we're talking like how many years are we talking here seven eight years right difference in terms of technology but that's yeah, just it's just i, th- I think i mean, sort of said the same thing about your 16
1: right home? it works pretty well and i'm not you know even in a in a pre covid world i wasn't um going out every day with my yeah. macbook pro and and space was not at a premium so i appreciate the mm-hmm. the broader sort of screen space real estate that i have um yep. but i think i'm probably more in the minority and i would expect that folks probably will end up getting the 13 um just really? because it, i mean you you end up with pretty much everything you could possibly want from the 16 inch but in a small form factor, which I think is a bigger deal for more people than it is for me.
0: I don't know. I think, I, I, I think the majority of people that I run into, you know, other, I know George Rapunski got one and Ellen Al, um, Designated Nerd got one. Um, but uh, I think the majority of people I know are more the, the 15 inch, 16 inch uh, form factor type deal. Like they want the, the extra, you know, a couple of inches of screen real estate, I guess, or maybe it's, I don't know, it's a perception thing or whatever, but, but they want the bigger computer. I don't know. That's what I find. What do you think, Mark? You, were, you, were, you had, a, you had the 17-inch at one point, didn't you? I did
2: have the 17-inch, and I loved it at the time, but now I still have it hanging around, and its I can't believe how heavy and big it is. I would never lug that thing around anymore, but I loved it at the time. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah.
0: Okay, all right, let's yeah. move on to our follow-up. I mean, you got, you're up first.
1: got Following up to discussions of Microsoft Build, um, this is something that I saw sort of after the fact during the 48-hour extravaganza, um, and I bring it up here to this panel because I think it's kind of interesting for two different reasons. One is that this is the sort of thing that I think um, a pretty decent percentage of mobile developers um, use in some way, shape, or form. And I also think it's kind of interesting as a sort of comparative anatomy uh, for where like Swift UI, as an example is going. So what I'm talking about here is this blog post from Microsoft about introducing the .NET Multiplatform App UI, or MAUI as they like to make it as an acronym. And that's a way for developers to target uh, cross-platform for Android, iOS, Windows, and macOS. And it's really the next sort of generation of what Xamarin Forms was or is, I guess. And I think Xamarin in the the .NET C-sharp world is reasonably popular. Um, I don't know that it's quite as popular as like, let's say, React Native. Um, and I don't know where it compares to something like Google Flutter, but it is something that I think is a a sort of a toolkit that folks should at least be aware of, because I'm I'm guessing that at some point in your career, um, you might end up getting asked about it. So I bring it up. Here.
0: Yeah, so with Xamarin, I, I see a lot of um, support questions. Like sometimes I run across Xamarin threads when I'm trying to search for answers and stuff like that. But um, like, does Xamarin, is for building without Xcode completely? Or, because or, I sometimes see people talking about bringing Xamarin projects into Xcode to finish them off and publish them. Is that true? You know,
1: yeah, I'm not entirely certain on the exact process. I, I assume it can be built from um, Visual Studio. I, I don't know Mac. if you would, oh, okay, yeah, you'd yeah. need the Visual Studio for Mac or if you can use the Windows one.
2: Yeah, I think that's true, but it, but I assume also that it uses uh, command line Xcode under the hood oh, to, to, do build. to build certain things because it needs the libraries at some point, right? It needs right, the local right. libraries.
0: But so, but so, yeah, so I guess the bottom line is you still need to have a Mac, right?
2: Presumably, yeah. Because,
0: yeah. I mean, if you, if you could do all the coding in, in Visual Studio Code and then you could basically do the build with, you know, Xcode build commands, um, yeah, you need to run that on a Mac for sure. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking, like, because you could use the application upload you would like, I mean, like never need, really need the Xcode GUI to, to, to do anything, right? Or the I, I, IDE, right?
2: Application uploader, that, that doesn't exist anymore.
0: Well, it's, a new, it's the new thing. I forgot what it's they call called It's called the now.
2: transporter. It's got a much more fancy right. name. Right.
0: Yeah, no, I saw it. I went to the talk on that at, at uh, WWDC last year. but And I know that our, our team has switched over to using it because I think you have to now, right? You have
2: to. Yeah. This, yeah. As yeah, far as I know, but, there's no other way unless you do it from Xcode directly.
0: Right. Yeah, because it would work around for me a lot of times when I used to run into signing issues and stuff like that when I was trying to do updates for whatever reason, I would sometimes I would fall back to the, the application uploader and it seemed to be a way to get around some of the sort of nasty things that Xcode was doing in you know, Xcode 9 and 8 days trying to get things submitted to the store, right? So, yeah, I, so I guess, yeah, so the bottom line is just, so are people writing, I guess we you guys don't know, people are writing Xamarin apps on a Mac, right, or, or per se, like they're writing dot, using .NET as the language to write it, right? I mean, that the they are using is? .NET mm-hmm.
2: and, and I do remember seeing a, I think it was at uh, AltConf a couple of years ago, uh, mm-hmm. IBM was it IBM? No, um, Microsoft. Microsoft. Yeah, Probably. Microsoft was <laughs> was there uh, showing uh, Visual Studio on running on the Mac. Oh yes. Oh, yeah. I, the reason I was confused about IBM, I think it, I may be m- remembering it completely wrong, but I think it might have been a, a joint display about Ketura and, and mm, Visual right. Studio or something like that. I could have it completely wrong. I don't know. But uh, but yeah, they were they were pushing uh, Visual Studio on the Mac, and of course he used that for Xamarin.
0: But I do have to say. Visual Studio on the Mac is is pretty pretty cool IDE too. Like uh, I know a lot of people that I run with use it. I know Tammy uses it, and uh, I, I don't know. And it's you know it's a text editor. At the end of the day, you can add Swift libraries to it, so you can you can basically write Swift in in um, Visual Studio, right? So not a not a shabby shabby app, right?
1: I think you're talking about Visual Studio Code because just yes, to make yeah. things weird, Microsoft has Visual Studio Code, which is almost certainly what you're talking about. The really yes. fancy pants. Text editor that can, it had a different name. Yeah, yeah. You, it can basically become a full up IDE for just about anything you want with different plugins. Um, yeah. There is Visual Studio for Mac, which I think is presumably the the more analogous thing to Visual Studio 2019 on Windows. Yeah, I
0: didn't. I didn't mean that. I meant. I meant. The, you're right. The Visual Studio Code thing. Yeah. Yeah, but, but I'm not entirely
1: I certain. I assume either one of those according to this article can be used to to build maui mm-hmm. i don't know if you can build xamarin stuff i'm less clear on what's required for the tool chain there but to build this uh this maui the the next version of xamarin um hmm. looks like you can do that there i i don't know exactly like at what point you need a mac maybe like on a build server to do uh, uploads to the app store or something i'm not sure how things get sort of cross-compiled and built for different projects
2: well if you yeah. scroll down a little bit there's a an actual screenshot of a mac showing the tool
1: right
0: the Video, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. In,
1: in, yeah. That, in that case, it, it, I don't know where the video, like, w- if it was from this other session or some unrelated session. What What you're talking about, I think, is the um, the hot reloading from C sharp.
0: Yeah, live preview. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, which is which is pretty neat. That's sort of the thing that, that Swift UI definitely has going for it, and definitely uh, lends a lot to move, uh, a tip of a cap towards uh, React Native and, and having that hot reload. We definitely talked about that on this show. Of like, yeah. if you could steal anything from from the what React Native has, steal the hot reloading. So have to rebuild this entire app just to make a little adjustment. Well, that's sort of what SwiftUI is doing, though, isn't it? To certain extent? Yeah, yeah. It's got the, the live the live reload because, you know, it's 2020. So why should we have to rebuild our apps just so we can see a tiny little change, right? We should be able to yeah. change it in the editor, hit the save button, and then just see it live. Um, By, the,
0: yeah. By the way, I was looking for space on my, my computer. Now that I've got like two terabytes of space, I'm not worried. But on my older computer, I was checking out the space that was left on it. And I went into my library, you know, the library Xcode, uh, the library device developer directory and there's a whole big giant folder in there now called previews and it's all the swift ui stuff that I've been doing for the last couple of months is eating up gigabytes of space on my drive right so can't get away from it so i guess i guess uh, uh, xcode is saving all that stuff there too i mean yeah this is pretty cool pretty cool story so i mean not that i have any desire whatsoever to learn net but i suppose if you are a net programmer and you want to learn ios or build ios this is a one way one way to do it right
1: yeah and and continuing along that line so the support the sort of traditional style of doing Xamarin stuff, as I understand it, using uh, MVVM (Model-View-View View Model) and the XAML, which is an XML-based um, UI layout mechanism. And they show an example here. And if you look at it and kind of squint, you're like, "Oh, okay, yeah, I, I kind of get what's happening here." Right? They set a stack layout with uh, a label and a button, and you know, some sort of command gets triggered. Um, that's in just plain regular old C Sharp, I assume. Like, all right, you know, you you clicked this button this many times, so it's a counter example. This is pretty typical. And then they go towards the area of MVU, which was new to me, model view update as a pattern. Apparently it comes from the Elm programming uh, language. And when I look at this and I squint and I say, by golly, that almost looks like Swift UI to me. And, and, yeah. and some combined stuff, right? <laughs>
2: like, yeah, I was thinking the same thing.
1: I'm like, oh, yeah. I don't really get what read-only state int count equals zero means in this case. But I kind of get the imp- like the full implications, but I get the impression like, oh, okay. So, you know, that might be like a property or something. And then you have this function that returns a view that's, in this case, a new stack layout with a label and a button, just like we talked about before. And then uh, this weird closure sort of mechanism that I assume is a function that says, when this Button gets clicked on, trigger this function to update the counter. And then, presumably, that's dynamically but, bound to the counter that we talked about before. And so but, it will just but generate. What are, all those,
2: what are all those commas separating the different lines inside that closure? Well, I, I don't understand. Commas?
1: Hmm. <laughs> it's a different world. They have, yeah, they have, and a semicolon. I don't know if you saw the semicolon at the semicolon, very end of the, and of the and example. A semicolon.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Now, how yep. much would you pay oh. for Swift UI, right? Yeah. <laughs> Avoid all those commas <laughs> and semicolons. Yeah, um,
2: and having to declare the type of the variable at the front. What's up? with That actually, actually, I do have to say, I, I, I don't, I don't mind that. Maybe I'm just old school in that sense. But, but I like the, I like the way that you can uh, know right from the beginning what the type is. Yeah. yeah. But what are you going to
1: do? Yeah. So you know, there's a lot of ideas here that I think are going to be pretty analogous to stuff we've seen with SwiftUI and Combine. Um, brought it up for comparative anatomy sort of reasons. And just because people might want to know, uh, apparently previews of .NET MAUI will be available later this year, and they're targeting general availability with .NET 6 in November of 2021. So it's not anytime soon, but uh, you'll, uh, you're getting a, a pretty early preview of it. Mm, interesting.
0: All right. Yeah, we used to know a Microsoft guy. It uh, was a fan of our show, but he's, not, he's no longer at Microsoft anymore. Um, yeah, so uh, this is our COVID story for today. Um, you've, you guys have heard Mike Vinkum. Uh, or sorry, McCommons, um, closing our show. He does the the outro for like I don't know, last twenty shows or so. Um, he's a voiceover friend of mine. He's uh, he wants to get into voiceover acting and that kind of stuff. So so I asked him, hey, do some some voiceover for us. And so he recorded a couple of voiceovers for um, podcast and for for us, and you know recorded some funny bits to sort of sprinkle them in. He even re- he's a copywriter too, so he even rewrote the the outro. So you may notice that the the copy is much more clearer and, and better written than it was in the past when I wrote it. Um, but uh, yeah, the story is this: is uh, Mike has just recovered from COVID nineteen. Um, he got it about a month and a half ago, and at the time, uh, and he's he's encouraging everybody to go get tested. I've got a link here to his his Facebook post about uh, coming out of uh, coming out of it. Um, he had it had symptoms early, but he had a hard time getting tested initially because he wasn't having respiratory problems. Right? He wasn't having the typical. He's atypical, is what they say, right? He didn't didn't have that the, at the time you know in April when they thought this was happening he didn't show all the signs that they said yes definitely you have COVID come in here we'll test you kind of thing right so they refused to test him he went back in a little while later but you know he was he talked about you know feeling like apathetic and having malaise a little bit di- some diarrhea some issues you know with like just not feeling 100% and, and uh, his doctor worked with him and eventually they got him a test and turned out he in fact did have COVID-19 um, he's now been tested twice it's been four weeks since he was cleared, and he's been tested twice since. So yeah, I mean that's a, a story really close to home for us. I mean, um, I lost a relative in Ireland to COVID nineteen a couple of, a month ago. Um, but uh, yeah, I've not really I don't know about you guys, but I've not really known anybody personally who who suffered through it. But yeah, Mike's Mike's been um, under the weather, as it were, for the last uh, couple of months, right? So yeah, but he's he's back out. Well, again glad he's recovering. And, yeah, for sure. You
1: no, know, I was looking through the list of the symptoms, and he's right. They don't at all like the ones i mean it's not like i'm a master of the, the list of symptoms but i could have sworn like difficulty breathing and other uh, things yeah. were more typical and these don't sound yeah, typical at logic. all for, yep. for that so yeah
0: like you said his o2 levels were 97 which is pretty normal i mean i bought an o2 sensor myself you know when when this whole thing started going down and um you know because you never know right and but you know he had a he had a, his he's got the symptoms here i just opened the facebook page he's got malaise anxiety um adrenaline rush you know elevated heart rate, headache, head pressure, uh, dilated eyes, you know, um, thirst, diarrhea, tingling in his arms and legs, shaking tremors, low-grade fever, weakness, fatigue, sweaty palms, sensitivity to noise and light. You know, those, those could be like a hangover. They could be like, you know, changing the weather kind of patterns, right? So, you, you know, but it didn't, ha- like I said, he didn't have the typical typical symptoms, which is why uh, yeah, this, this um, my sister who works, here, she's an occupational therapist, she says this, this thing is a beast. Like, it just they have, are really having a hard time nailing down um, how it manifests in different people it seems to be evolving and it has different kind of symptoms it affects young kids differently than old people and so on and so forth right and and just as a point of fact if you're in 20 is it she's 25 to 35 I think she said is the the second most uh, popular age group to get this it's mostly like a lot the largest uh, group suffering are the, are people in the older 60 but you know yeah if you're in if you're in the 25 well, to 30 you know you want to just you know pay attention
2: I kind of suspect that the younger people are getting it more because they they're not being as careful. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're socializing more probably.
0: Yeah, I mean there's a lot of a lot of distorted facts going out and you know, yeah. people are people are getting, you know, there's all kinds of stories about it. We could go into all kinds of different angles. But we're not medical experts, you know, this is just for advice. You know, if you if you're not feeling not right, even
2: advice. It's not even advice.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So just uh, get yourself checked, wear a mask, wash your hands. Just like they say on all the other podcasts. All right. So I put this other link here that I was looking for this earlier today. We were talking about build time at, uh, at work, uh, yesterday, it was, it seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. I mean, we have a huge code base. We have lots of objective C, we have lots of swift, um, you know, warnings, all kinds of other things that are, that are, contributing to our build times. They seem to be getting worse and worse, but I was looking for this one command that I know we talked about on the show. Um, oh, maybe this isn't, yeah. So I was looking for the one, it, it's a way of writing to, um, to, uh, uh, your defaults to, to have Xcode actually tell you in, you know, you know, at the top when it shows you, um, uh, like, you know, how many things are indexing and what, you know, how many Swift things are, you know, this many out of that many are compiling and that kind of stuff. The, what do you call the status bar at the top of the screen, right? Above the standard editor. Um, it'll actually tell you, this command will tell you, uh, it's defaults, right? Apple.com, DT, Xcode, code, show build operation duration, and you set that to yes. That will show you in, in that bar at the top um, how long things are, how long it's taken to basically do a build, right? Um, that said, you can also get at the bottom of the build report, you can see the the total uh, next to how long it took to build uh, your app, too. You can go there and check that out, too. So we're looking for ways to optimize our, our issues. Is it, it's an, we just started into it, so um, there's a couple of ideas we have, but we'll... I guess I'll report back later if we find anything interesting about what uh, we find. But I was looking for that command on, on how to, um, to do that. So that's why I added, as Jaime just posted this, and I th- we may have talked about this article in particular on the show in, in the past, Xcode build time optimization from February. Is that right, Jaime, or you just happened to find this one?
1: It was like one of the f- First items on the list on the Google search, and I wasn't sure if it was one that we'd specifically talked okay. about, but it, it seemed fairly similar.
0: Yeah, I do know I've talked about that build build time um, show build operation duration um, command before because I've looked for it before. I've used it before. I tried it out, and from something we talked about on this show. All right, um, move on to um, main topic. honey. Oh, wait, before we do that, so I did have some follow up, uh, real time follow up. So SwiftIO is August thirteenth. Uh, it's going to be from nine thirty a.m. to four thirty p.m. It's one day as opposed to two days. Um, it is going to be Paul Hudson doing a talk um, currently there are uh, $200 in person very limited quantity $200 a piece but the remote ticket is going to be $80 not you know, not what I said earlier which is $200 or something $80 will get you, uh, get you in there and you can start buying uh, June 1st we'll be able to buy uh, the uh, the in, in-person in tickets but yeah so right now you can go over to Swift t- swiftpomp.to to buy your ticket if you're interested there you go sorry Jaime mean, you can uh, dive into your thing
1: no worries this is Was one that I thought was really weird when I saw it over the weekend. Um, Guessing a lot of folks have seen it by now, but I saw a huge number of app updates come in all at once, and it didn't even make sense because it was all right. So a few app updates in the app store for you know things that were new that day, but then there were things that were quote unquote new that I'd already installed from like the fourteenth of May and maybe even earlier. I didn't I didn't check that that closely. And I thought it was really weird, and I thought it was a, a bug, and I thought maybe I'll sit on this for a day or two and see if it's not weird exotic hack thing that people have like compromised the app store or something uh, horrific like that. Seems like it's a little bit more mundane. Um, it's still pretty problematic that for reasons unknown, um, it seemed like some apps were affected by the iOS 13.5 update and some apps became inaccessible with a, a note saying, this app is no longer shared with you. I guess right. maybe that's like a family sharing kind of bug. And uh, the the localized fix that people had was, well, you could delete the app and then reinstall it for in the app store. Kind of stinks because you can lose some of your locally saved data. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: So people said, oh, well, if you go to the settings and offload your app, huh? which just deletes the app, but leaves all the data and then reload or reinstall the app, then that seemed to fix the problem for them. And it seems as though Apple has, from what I can tell, and, and I don't know if anybody has any better information, it seems like Apple just like republished all these app updates to sort of just flush it out of the system and patch wow. over the bug. What I can huh? tell. I had like 37 updates one morning. I was like, that's unreasonable. There's no way. There's 37 updates on Memorial Day, which is a holiday in the United States, right? Like, no, nobody's insane to do those, those App Store releases on that day. And everybody's presumably, you know, barbecuing or something in the backyard.
2: So was it actually installing an old version onto your phone?
1: It seemed, at least from the App Store entries, that like one that was, you know, last updated on May 14th. And this mm-hmm. was, what, the 25th was Memorial Day. Um, it seemed to me like it was old code, but maybe had been like re-signed or something. Um,
2: wow, I mean that—that's scary because you know, say you're say you've migrated your data and then somehow you're running an old version all of a sudden, and that could corrupt everything. It could corrupt all your data. I don't know
1: the exact mechanism. It, it seems yeah. to me that these were all the newest versions of the apps. Oh, they it, were. Okay. It was just weird that I'm like, oh, huh, I'm pretty sure I installed. You know, because I look. I'm, I'm that guy who looks at the release notes, right? Ninety-nine <laughs> times said, out of hundred, There has like, to be
0: one. There has to be one. Nine times out of
1: 100, it's a complete waste of time. It's like, we spend, you know, <laughs> every two weeks, we deliver bug great new stuff. Yeah, how bug fixes, performance improvements, right? <laughs> they almost always say that. But sometimes they say things like, oh, here's this feature. I'm like, cool. And then, you know, here it is, like 10-ish, 11-ish days later. I'm like, isn't that the same exact release notes? And then I look at the date and I'm like, that's what appears from the release notes to be the version yeah. I had already installed. Latest version right, of the yeah, app, yeah. but had um, you know, old notes. So it so, feels like it was like a republication or, yeah. or re-signing of, of things.
2: So presumably it was the same app, but it was giving you a needs an update message or, or badge or whatever. And then it would just install the same thing, same version on top of the existing one. Is that Was that the behavior?
1: That's what it seemed like. The okay. Behavior. Yeah. I, mean, I yeah. didn't
2: see this myself, so I'm just trying to. Figure out what was going on. So
1: Just you fun. didn't end up with like a bunch of updates. No, all of a sudden, no, I didn't. People I didn't. are talking, you know, sixty updates. Uh, I guess some yeah. poor full, uh, souls are like, oh, oh, three hundred updates because they have that many apps.
0: Did you go? So did you have to go to the uh, App Store? I'm going there now to, to. I mean, sorry, the App Store app and see what what was there, or how did you find out you had updates?
1: I mean, I'm also the, the guy who doesn't apps allow apps to update themselves automatically. Ah, yeah. So I go in and manually updates. So I saw that those were were waiting in the queue for me.
0: Yeah. I don't think I don't. I'm not. A, I did on my iPad, but I on my phone. I don't have automatic updates turned on yet, because I I don't want that. I don't want the moment I need that app to, it, to be, be broken or whatever, right? Of the, the same world, I want to have it want to have it uh, fixed, right? Um, just just so you know, for science here, I, I went in and um, like I said, I went into the general settings. Um, when I moved from um, my to my 10s last I guess fall, right? Um, I noticed that a lot of apps didn't automatically get installed, and and they had the little download, you know, little Cloud with the down download arrow connected to them, and I deleted a bunch of them a few months ago because I, I had no intention of ever using those apps again. But um, just for science, here I found one of the Game Center or what is it, Arcade apps, right? That I'm, I'm not using because um, I didn't know you could offload the apps to get them off your machine. I, I thought once I thought if you deleted the app, you lost the data, and that was just the way it were old, right? Um, I didn't know you could just offload them. Um, yeah, it's a yeah. Re-
2: relatively new thing, only a couple years old.
0: Yeah. So anyway, so I just uh, did that with this WCF uh, app from um, Snowman. Uh, uh, which is one of the, because um, I have a few arcade apps installed on my phone that I can't use anymore, right? So, and it, and again, there are a few apps left over from that last migration that haven't installed themselves. But uh, I, I just kind of thought that was just something Apple was doing to save download times and whatever, since you're doing cloud, uh, since i are doing cloud backup now, right, as opposed to backing up like a caveman to my, my Mac, right? <laughs> Interesting stuff. Yeah, so, yeah, it's just a weird weirdness. Uh, anyway, um, cool. So, what's next, Tommy?
1: Next one is a blog post by um, Brent Simmons, former of Omni now of Audible and uh, it's really sort of a, a treatise on why Net NewsWire, the RSS uh, reader app that uh, he has that is open source, i think I double I need to double check. I'm pretty sure it's open source. Um, is fast and that even in this era of A12 bionic chips and you know presumably this fall we'll get an A13 Kaiju Mecha Godzilla or something chip that will be <laughs> even more impressive at what it does. You know you, you can still do things to to make things fast, right? To make sure that you're you're doing things that you know, reduce the amount of work that that beefy processor can, and GPU and even the the much upgraded networks, right? As we start going towards, um, you know, pretty heavy penetration of 4G LTE and now switching over and adding on um, 5G speed stuff. Um, and there's some kind of interesting things in here and, and I think some of them are less controversial and some might be more controversial. Let's see if we can hit some of the highlights. Um, so as you might expect in RS reader would deal with a lot of uh, XML. That's what the RSS spec is, is based on, right? When you subscribe to something, like I happen to be a, a Feedly user, but uh, I sort of get the gist here. So uh, rather than using like a uh, an XML DOM parser, uh, they use a SACS parser. So mm. I had to like really dig through my memory and think, okay, wait a minute, what does what a DOM parser do? Oh, okay, that's right. It pulls the entire XML document into memory. So you have randomized access. Um, it's super easy to use, but you've got that entire thing in memory, right? So if it was a huge document, you're you're running into trouble. Or if you've got a whole bunch of very large documents, you might get some memory pressures. Whereas something like SACS is event driven. So as the XML document is being read through the system, you get a whole bunch of these little events. So like, hey, I found this beginning tag. By the way, here's this attribute. By the way, here's this, you know, this other inner tag that started. And it's it's sort of weird and, and messy and not very nice to deal with in terms of like huge if statements, switch statements, if else kind of statements, but it is fast because only very little parts of memory are being used at any one given time, right? Just literally like dealing with the stream of data coming in. That was an interesting one. Uh, certainly uh, kind of like a blast from the past, right? So he, he mentions here that the uh, the daring fireball feed relatively large at 112k in size. Parsing that happens in 0.009 seconds. It's pretty neat. There's also a lot of talk of using uh, conditional gets for HTTP so that you don't ask for... For large bits of data unless it truly has changed. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily cost you so much, it seems. But in the aggregate, if you're pulling down tons of feeds, you know, why pull down that 112K feed item if you don't have to? It hasn't changed at all since the last time you looked. I think that's a pretty practical idea. Uh, there are some things about uh, using serialized queues, pushing as much, much off the um, the UI thread as possible. I, I don't think there's any controversy there. Using uh, coalescing of events in concert with using using SQLite, more specifically with FMDB on top of it directly. So that's a little different, right? It's not using core data. Um, getting a little bit more into the controversial stuff. Uh, sets and dictionaries. Dictionaries, I think he acknowledges is pretty common, using sets. So a data structure where you can have one and only one of any any given thing. So you know, if you have the, the set of uh, characters, A through Z, there, there's only one A or one B, for example. Um, the other ones are somewhat more controversial as we get closer to the bottom here. So no stack views and no auto layout in table cell views. Those are the ones I think I want to spend a little bit more time. How are you, you guys feeling about that?
0: Well, stack views are interesting, but the table view one is curious.
1: Yeah, I, I can definitely get why no no auto layout in table headers or table footers, because they just don't like auto layout for reasons that confuse me. <laughs> and everybody Everybody should just bookmark that one stack overflow answer of how do I force auto layout to work properly <laughs> in table headers and table footers. Um, but I thought that uh, auto laid and table cell views was was pretty pretty good. I don't know that I'd seen any Yeah,
2: it makes the auto-sizing auto cells really trivial.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the stack views ones is interesting because I, I guess I've never really seen performance issues with stack views on this. You were really trying to do something um, interesting with manipulating the layout, like hiding and, and unhiding elements and, I don't know, maybe adding a whole bunch of views at once, removing a whole bunch of views. It just sort of seemed like you could add to those pretty easily, and it would animate pretty reasonably. It would mostly, do the right thing. Well,
0: see, I'm a little confused because I'm not really a huge RSS reader guy. I don't know what 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 do you use that for? And then I've never even looked at Net Newswire, so I don't know what. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I should have started right. from the
1: basics. So, did you ever use Google Reader? Uh, I don't think so. All right. Well, um, so an RSS reader, you can imagine it's it's almost like uh, there's probably terrible analogies here. I think of it as being sort of my my reading inbox so I subscribe to various websites, let's say, and say, oh yeah, rstechnical.com. Yeah, sure. Let me know when there's new articles that appear on their website, um, right. rather than having to go check every once in a while and see there's updates. Um, podcasting is a pretty good example of an RSS that, that isn't specifically meant for, for reading, but follows uh, the yeah, same yeah. sort of publish, subscribe thing. So you can imagine having a set of subscriptions that your, your reader app is listening to and just sort of waiting to say, oh, is your new stuff from Daring Fireball or Slashdot or Ars Technica, and I haven't seen the the newer Net News wire, but you could more or less imagine it as having like a master detail view of here's all these sort of table cells on the side that represent you know here are all of the Daring Fireball articles, and then the next row is here are all the Ars Technica articles. And if you clicked on one, you could see like another list of those, or maybe the app would decide to show you the the most recent result, and then you know the next set as uh, another subtable of some sort, not terribly complicated UI in terms of like, oh wow, there's like tons of animations, things are flying around all over the place, it's spewing confetti all over the place. Which any a-
0: pictures and stuff to look at or no?
1: Um, Let me take a look. It's not linked here in the article. let just look for NetNewsWire. One sec. That's an old school app that was just recently brought back to life after being through. Yeah,
0: it's kind of like why would I need home. a reader for
1: R- RQ? You know? Oh wait, App Store. What? This gave me the.
0: Okay, I found some pictures on on. Um- on the uh, app yeah, store, so I can see what it's all about, I guess. Yeah, so there's thumbnails and, oh, there's like uh, Met and Reese and stuff like that in here.
1: Yeah, so there's there's things I, I think I would definitely want to take advantage of if I was building this sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. The prefetching stuff for, if you're not going to use Collection View, use the equivalent on Table View. Um, sizes seem like they're relatively static and relatively known. Right. Um, but, you know, it, it also seems like it wouldn't be that difficult to do the, the manual part that they describe, right? Of, you know, I wanted to pre calculate what the layout looks like because it gives me some boost over having the 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 solver that that solver engine that runs underneath the covers for auto layout to figure out you know how do i resolve all these constraints i mean we just sort of know hey this thing is going to be five pixels from the left (laughs) no need to figure out exactly where it is in space i've got a we've got a whole series of rectangles that i can align for you doesn't seem unreasonable i mean you probably wouldn't have to worry too much about things like oh man you know did i did i mess up a constraint somewhere that that Tells me that we uh, need to run a whole another pass just to figure out where things are in space.
0: Well, I've just uh, I've just downloaded it, so I'll give it a spin and see what uh, so it populates with a whole bunch of stuff that I would normally would have added anyway, right? So cool. I'll, I'll report back on my experience over the next couple of weeks, I guess, right? Because this is the same stuff that I would you know, same people I sort of similar follow, people follow on uh, the Twitters and stuff like that, right? So cool.
1: Yeah, let me let me know because I've you know I'm a creature of habit, and when Google Reader died, I just switched over to one of the alternate. Alternatives that cropped up around that time, as people uh, sought to fill in the gap, and I, I ended up using Feedly on uh, on iOS. It works reasonably well. Um, it's it's not like the reading things on the web was that large of an area where I needed a ton other than remember where I was. I mean, if I mark things as red, move them out of my way and I'm pretty happy. So I'd be kind of curious to see, you know, what sort of other things are out there and I might have to give NetNewsWire a try myself. Cool. All
0: right. Well, I'll keep an eye on that. I'm just looking, I was looking for a way to sort of keep up with things and it just seems to be a quicker way of doing it. But it's never, never dawned on me. Like like you said, because I do the podcast publishing, I'm familiar with RSS and creating those and now it's all automated and that kind of stuff. But but, uh, and, and Safari doesn't have an SS, RSS reader built in, right? So it's always been a problem with how to read files, right? So I had a, a, an app on my Mac that I had installed, but recently I got rid of it. I wasn't really looking at the RSS stuff much. I will uh, keep an eye on it, all right? So this is an interesting one. So you're a dark mode user, right? I, mean, I am indeed. Mark, are you a dark mode user or you're not right there yet?
2: I am a, if it, if it adjusts to the time of day, dark mode mm-hmm. User, mm-hmm. user, then I use it. If not, I'm generally a light mode user.
0: So here's here's a, a bit of a t- t- sidebar for a second here, because I discovered on my on my current Mac, the new Mac, the sh- new shiny Mac, which I'll talk about in a few minutes, um, the automatic doesn't work. When I put auto when I oh, maybe it's working now, I don't know. But yesterday when I tried to use automatic, <laughs> automatic, it would would stay in light mode even though it was like after sundown, right? Because it's supposed to be when sundown changes, right? Um, Yeah, so I'll I'll put it back on automatic. But anyway, so the article here, and this is by Gene Goinkma, he's a fellow developer here in Toronto and a good friend of ours. He belongs to Taco and all that kind of stuff and he's a fan of the show. He's worn our shirt to WWDC and had pictures taken with famous people wearing it. Um, So hey Gene, thanks for that. Uh, But um, he wrote an article here about, he found that uh, based on his own experiences and what other people were complaining is that if you were using um, an accent color other than graphite as your uh, highlight color for um, your, your OS, the dark mode was a lot slower than at, at rendering screens and that kind of stuff. I don't know if you've noticed this on me at all. Um, but yeah, he found that if you switch over to to, uh, to graphite uh, as the accent color, it, it performs much better. I've got it currently set to that on mine right now. I, to be honest with you, I hadn't really noticed because I'm, I'm only using dark mode in the evenings, as it were, right? It's like, Mark, I'm an uh, automatic switcher. Um, what do you think? Did you guys experience this at all?
2: I haven't really noticed. Uh, to be honest, I, I more use dark mode on my iPad. Yeah. Because uh, one place where I'm a real fan of it is if I'm in a book reader, say, you know, Kindle or, or, or books uh, at night, then, you know, then, then having the dark screen with the white text, you know, you, you don't even need the light on in the room and it's mm-hmm. perfect. You know, it's not so bright that it, that it lights up the whole room. And you can turn can turn the uh, the intensity down, and it's it's actually pretty nice. I really really like it for that.
0: Yeah. Well, according to his article, his quick, real short blog here, uh, link in the show notes, um, Guillermo Rambo and uh, John Sundell were talking about it on their Stack Trace podcast that they were having a similar issue too. Uh, yeah. So changing changing the highlight, sorry, the accent color to graphite. Mm. Um, yeah. Dis- disables the offending video com- compositing and blurring or whatever it was was causing delay. So
1: yeah, interesting. How <laughs> call it? I have never experienced this, but I'm not even sure how I would know because yeah. I am a full-time dark u- mode user mm. and I haven't noticed any lag in that sort of sense of like, oh man, this is obviously slow. It yeah, sounds yeah, like yeah. if I had switched between the two on a more regular basis or break one enough basis, maybe I would have noticed this, but I, I haven't. Is it, is it hardware dependent in any way? I mean, I do have like the one of the newest devices, so maybe it doesn't matter at this level. I'd have
0: to go and listen to the, uh, to the podcast and see what they were talking Talking about it specifically, I, it may be like the you know the the uh, the translucence effects that you get in in Mac OS. Like currently, I'm looking at I'm looking at my mail app in front of um, uh, Gene's website, which has got like a, a sort of a green uh, background and like and sort of made the left pane uh, sort of a translucent gray. Maybe it's that kind of stuff that was causing grief. I don't know. I'm not really noticing it myself. Let me just uh, switch to a different accent color to see if that makes a difference.
1: I really hope this bug gets patched because so I just switched my accent color to graphite to look what it would look yeah. like and it feels kind of sad. So it's it's usable but <laughs> but I didn't realize how much I sort of missed the, the default blue in my case color where yeah. it feels like, alright, this is a, a, a really <laughs> weird tangent but, but bear with me here. So 1980s kids who grew up with cartoons will know that there's kind of like a, a gender based split back then. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. as true now, right? The the boys cartoons like pink, were based impressive. on like running around and punching each other in some way, shape, or form. That's that's how yeah. problems were resolved. The little girls' cartoons, such as my cousins would watch, were more about psychological despair <laughs> when I look at them from a from an adult eyes, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, this was inappropriate for children. So Rainbow Bright was one of the characters that my cousins used to like and watch. And I distinctly mm-hmm. remember that one of the villains, their whole thing was they wanted to remove all color from the universe. <laughs> which is, I think, is more were terrified and like Skeletor deciding to take over Castle Grayskull, right? That's, That's just a political thing. It feels like the rainbow bright villain won if I switch my machine to graphite, that there is no color
2: in the universe anymore, (laughs) was my point. So, my analogy would be getting on a plane in California, flying back to the East Coast, like New England, where I'm from, and stepping out of the airport and being used to the bright, vibrant greens and blues of California to the grays and other grays of Massachusetts. (laughs) Not the Massachusetts. Is all that bad, but but just the color palette is very different, They're very different. That's my analogy,
0: yeah. I notice the trees are different too, yeah, yeah, it's cool stuff. Well, it's funny, you know, I've been speaking of like like things that you notice about the environment. Um, I've been watching a lot of old movies on uh, the, um, one of the channels here has got a, a thing where free previews. So I watched like uh, The French Connection the other day, I watched you know, American Graffiti. Uh, what was I watching yesterday? Um, or I watched a movie, another movie on Turner Classic, Turner Classic, Turner Classic Movies from from like 1972. And it's interesting when you see shots of like downtown New York or or LA even, you know, because it was all like neon and like how things were lit up and, and the cars obviously were different and the, the clothing people wore and that kind of stuff. But just the, the look of the downtown core, you didn't have all these LCD panels everywhere and, you know, uh, like the entire side of a building wasn't an advertisement kind of thing, you know. Uh, you had this really c- sort of clean, cool, sort of, I don't know, retro looking, obviously retro. Cause it was old um, neon signs everywhere, right? So I was I was just watching a movie just before we started recording here, and I saw the old remember the old Coca Cola neon one where it would have like I think you see it in in Blade Runner actually where it's the whole logo the whole red field is just a series of of um, neon tubes and they kind of ripple up and down as they flash around. So it was it's just interesting to sort of see go back and see what you know and and this was my world when I was growing up. I mean it was when I was a, you know teenager that's what the world downtown looked like, right? And it's only Slowly over, and same same with you, Mark. Slowly over time, it's evolved into this sort of new, you know, large print kind of, you know, LCD panels all over the place kind of world, right? And amazingly so,
2: enough, these days, if you, if, you, these days, if you go outside, you can actually see a blue sky and everything's really? clear. There's blue no sky. smog. <laughs> that's yeah, the, well, the that, that's,
0: that's an interesting thing. Like they were saying, yeah, like they're they're seeing things in in the water in Venice that they haven't seen in yeah, years. Yeah, and They're also yeah. seeing like I think from I think it was from Kathmandu or something like that. You could see Mount Everest. They they hadn't been able to see that and. years, right? Mm -hmm. From uh, quite a ways away. So that's interesting things that we're seeing. Plus, you know, there was a a bear walking around the northern part of Toronto a couple of days ago, and we've had coyotes and, you know, stuff like that uh, running through town, right? Weird things, I guess, because people aren't around to scare them away, Mm -hmm. right? Anywho, right, so yeah, so we were, I was hinting at this earlier that, uh, so yeah, I've got this shiny new MacBook Pro 13 uh, 2020 just showed up uh, on my doorstep a couple of, like, ended last week. Um, So I've basically been on it for since Friday, it's now Wednesday, so less than a week of time on it, um, and just some observations about it. I mean, like I mentioned earlier in the show, um, I might edit that back in here. That um, that it's much smaller footprint than than uh, than I expected. Um, in that, now that I have it in here, it's more in, along the size in terms of size and weight and that kind of stuff, like, an, like a MacBook Air 11, um, or even the, I guess the MacBook. Uh, is the MacBook still around? That, that other that other Mac that had the you know the original light computer is that still around you know not sure let me see but it's 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 little in that sense like if you're into a if you want a small compact computer my uh, i think my my um i hadn't actually done a side-by-side comparison here but now that i'm looking at it my my macbook sorry my, my ipad pro 12.9 is slightly bigger than it too right so uh that's another interesting thing too i wonder if you're the same you weight. cannot
2: actually buy a regular macbook anymore on apple's website
0: oh, okay yeah, your options so cool. are
2: macbook air macbook yeah. pro 13 macbook pro 16
0: yeah so as i was saying like yeah the the keyboard is sort of, a it's a cross between the old, you know, older 2015 and earlier 2016, 2015 earlier keyboard, like with the sort of lozengy kind of look and, and, uh, the, the bigger keys that you get on the new, uh, that you were getting on the, uh, which one was it is bad for me, how many butterflies in my stomach, right? So the butterfly, um, keyboard, uh, had bigger keys, right? And, uh, uh, if you've been working on those and, and gotten used to them, so it, they're, they're bigger than the, uh, like the keys are actually seem to be bigger than the, the, um, the original, the 2013 ones, um, and they are they're nicer. I mean, it, it's a nice keyboard effect. You definitely feel like there is travel. You notice a difference when you're tapping down on the keys, right? And I think you have the same keyboard on your um, your 16, right, huh, many The Magic
1: Keyboard. I'm sorry, what was that? <laughs> Hold on, I'm trying. <laughs> was, was trying to
0: welcome ke- back. I, I was <laughs> trying to to,
1: to to keep track of which which key. Oh,
0: sorry, I'm talking about the key on your MacBook Pro 16, right? You have the same key. It's the same keyboard as as the MacBook Pro 13, right?
1: I have no idea. Some- <laughs> I mean, it's super well, looks they're similar. Well, uh, they're
0: calling it the Ma- yeah. Actually, I have a sh- I have a screenshot of uh, uh, when the Mac Store was around, or sorry, the Apple Store was around. I went to the Apple Store and looked at the 16 one day. But uh, yeah, I think I think it's the same keyboard. Anyway, let's let's assume it is for now. But they're calling it the Magic Keyboard, which is what they're also calling the the keyboard on the iPad, the new fancy new iPad, right?
1: That's why I got confused um, because I was thinking, all right, well there there is a actual Magic Keyboard. Yeah. Uh, two of them, I guess, one for iPad and then the the older you know wireless one. Uh, was one, that called Magic Keyboard? I thought it was called magic keyboard is it is it just wireless keyboard And, and Magic Trackpad, Smart
0: Keyboard, I think it was called. Smart Keyboard, I think, is, is, the, is the the older iPad keyboard. So it made me go to Apple, but yeah, no, I'll go to Apple right now. Apple, right? IPhone, but at the
1: very least, the the newer 13 inch and the newer 16 inch MacBook Pros both use the scissor switch, which I do yeah, appreciate you using my my little mnemonic trick of butterflies are bad for your stomach and yeah. bad for keyboards, yeah. sort of idea. Yes. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, no, I think we were looking at tech specs last week, and when I was, or two weeks ago, when we were looking at this, I forget, but it mentioned in the tech specs, said it's the Magic Keyboard. I'm looking at it now. Yes, Backlit Magic Keyboard, they're calling it and on the Apple website. So, But it says on the tin, I um, Actually, let's just jump over to the 16-inch, just to be sure. Yes, yours is a, yours is a full-size Backlit Magic Keyboard, I mean. Just so you know. There you go. So it is the Magic Keyboard. Uh, whether it was called that from the get-go, we don't know. Um, anyway, just looking at my Mac here. So so yeah, the touch bar is nice. I didn't realize this was getting a hardware um, escape key. The other thing is different than this and the, and the earlier Touch Bar Max is the, the actual touch bar um, button, if you will, is, is different than, um, it's not connected to the actual trackpad or touch bar, like the, not connected to the actual touch bar like the, the, it is on the 2016, 2017 and 2018, right? So is yours, is your uh, Touch ID, bar, button, whatever you call it, power key, is it separated from the uh, touch pad on your computer as well? It looks like it is in the schematic I'm looking at here.
1: Yeah, so if you went on the top row, you'd have the escape key. Yeah then a little separator, the touch bar, and then a little separator and the power button, touch ID button on the right-hand side.
0: Oh, so you have a hardware key, too, for the escape.
1: That's right. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Nice. Yeah. And, and in terms of performance, and we've, we've talked about this on the show amongst ourselves, I mean, Jaime's the only one that sort of, uh, you know, bit the bullet earlier and got the 16. Um, but yeah, I'm finding, obviously, the, the difference in in the difference in this computer to, like, even my my 2018, 2016 uh, touch bar 50 max that I have for work. It, it seems to be much nicer, faster, quicker, zippier than those as well, right? So um, I haven't spent a time, I mean, I've been doing some development on it, but not not spent a ton of time on it, but, uh, you know, half day sort of thing each day. But um, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely nice. And and so I also wanted to talk about, this is my first experience with, with Sidecar too, because our managed Macs are the Sidecar functionality is disabled. So today, just before the show, uh, I plugged in my, my iPad and I set up Touch Bar, or sorry, I set, set up Sidecar on it. So it's the first time I'm looking at sidecar I don't know if you guys have tried it at all have you using your, your iPad as a secondary screen
1: I haven't no. I haven't I have. probably should because it make it easier to like whiteboard things with the pencil well you
0: yeah so yeah I mean I haven't got my pencil plugged in right now or, or charged up right but yeah it, it does it lets like so when I'm podcasting when I'm working normally I normally just have the laptop sitting on my lap and I'm sitting on the couch and I'm coding away right but when I'm edit, when I'm recording the podcast I'm sitting at a desk right because that's where my microphone is and in front of me is this sad dark Dark, very sad-looking Apple LCD L- LED LED. This it's an LED DisplayPort monitor, 24-inch. That is dark because I can't plug my my new shiny new Mac Pro into it. Right. Um, so, so I've been without, so whenever I do a podcast, I always have two screens going. I have the big, you know, the big 24 inch screen, and then I have my Mac sitting on one of those, um, what do we call this thing? The rain stands that we were talking about, Jaime? What are they called? Yeah, I've got the, the metal yeah, ra- rain design M stand, I think they call it. Wow, your memory is better than mine. Yeah. No, I'm not reading it. It, s- it says it right on the, on the tin. Like I don't have my, I have, I have two of them, and, and one of my Mac, one doesn't have a Mac on it right now, so I can read the, the logo on it. Anyway, so it's not that I'm, uh, I'm not a mind reader or sidekick or whatever. Anyway, so, um, the, I I, have, I wanted to have a second screen when I'm doing podcasting. So I thought, well, I've got this perfectly good, you know, um, iPad that I've been using. So I plugged in the, the you know, the ubiquitous USB cord and, and plugged it in and fired it up. And so, but I've also got my Logitech keyboard connected to it. And I've also got um, a Magic Touchpad here, um, Magic t- Trackpad 2 um, that I was using on my, my Mac. And I've got a hardware keyboard, which it's tucked in behind the thing right now. But I can use the keyboard on the on the iPad to, to enter text on my Mac now, which is cool through, through this whole connection through, um, through sidecar as well. Sidecar also has like other things. Like right now I'm looking at, I can see, I can stop and start my recording from here. Um, when I hold on E, that disappears and, and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So like I've got, I've almost got like two keyboards I can use. One that's physically connected to the Mac and one that's connected to, one's my extra one that's connected to my iPad. Um, I've got this really cool looking, I don't know where this desktop image came from, but yeah, I've got like, I can move the menu, the main menu from from my Mac to my, to my, uh, um, my uh, iPad. So I could actually take this iPad. I could basically, you know, have it mirror, mirror the screen or I can have it set up as a second display, but move the main menu over to the iPad and then use the iPad as my Mac and go sit on the couch kind of thing, right? So it's it's really kind of a cool um, setup that's, that's going here. So I don't know if you, get, you guys haven't tried it, but uh, yeah, and I can, you know, I've got my QuickTime recording happening over there. So as we're doing the show, I can see what's going on over there. I can monitor things like that while we're looking at the notes and not getting in the way. So it's like having a second screen, a uh, second 13-inch screen or 12.9-inch screen on on, uh, on my Mac. So it's kind of handy that way too. So yeah, I'm really enjoying this this uh, weird new Mac experience. Touch Touch ID is like another bent from the gods thing, right? So yeah, loving it. That's my any questions about my experience here with these two guys? I'm kind questions? of
1: curious if having Sidecar makes it more tenable to be sort of out and about. Like you know, imagine we could go to coffee shops and stuff at some future yeah. point, right? You're not mm. unless you one of those people, you know, you're not going to bring this huge monitor to like Starbucks or Tim Hortons or something, right? Yeah, but you could reasonably pull out an iPad, an iPad Pro from yeah. your, your bag, and still have something that approximates having a, a more normalish setup with a main screen and an auxiliary screen to, I don't know, put notes on the side, documentation on the side.
0: Well, you know, yeah, I don't know if I don't know if you could actually have if you had two of them, right? You could have one on either side, or you could bring up a driving simulator, and you could actually be driving at home. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> or at the coffee shop right <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> or do a flight simulator kind of deal you know like some people do with multiple monitors um yeah i mean you could have like I, i've seen i've seen weird setups with all these pictures of people working from home but um, with multiple screens and um a buddy of mine sent me a picture of his he's got like the the uh, what, what's the fancy new dongle um, screen um xdr got one of those but he's got it hung um uh, vertically so it's like the the narrow the the longer side it goes up and down and he's got you know a big giant you know, code uh, screen there for <laughs> writing large, you know, I guess m- a massive view controllers and that kind of stuff, right? But yeah, it's a, I'm not again, like you know, I, it's kind of funny. I love the I love the fact that you know, with my DisplayPort monitor or, or even with the Thunderbolt monitor, um, you know, I could work at a desk with a keyboard and a trackpad and and have the Mac just be a computer. Like I think, Mark, you run in clamshell mode a lot of times, right? Where you close the lid on your. But the computer. lid is closed. Yeah, most of yeah. the time, in fact. Yeah, and then yep. so, but then when I you know when I'm done sitting at the desk and I want to go sit on the couch and put on a movie and, you know, the dog wants to lie on the, on the couch beside me and I just want to, you know, noodle away on some code, um, I'll, I unplug everything and just take the laptop over there and sit over there, right? So, yeah. So I'm waiting for, I've, I've actually bought an adapter that will let me connect from um, DisplayPort to USB-C so I can, I can see if I can continue to use this monitor but, yeah, it's, it's sad otherwise I'll have to look at maybe another op- monitor option if that doesn't work, doesn't work. I also got, off of eBay, I got in another dongle that, um, I was chatting with James Thompson on on um, uh, Twitter about the other day was it's a, a MagSafe to USB um, dongle. So I basically can use all of the, I've got like, I don't know how many Mag MagSafe power adapters I've got, you know, from all my Macs. In fact, I've got a couple, I've got one that's from an original MacBook, you know, the little square, the little square one, with, it was actually the original MagSafe. I've got the MagSafe to MagSafe 2 adapter. And then I plug that into this thing and I can actually charge my 13 inch with a, a, an adapter that's like 10 years old. Right. Um, and, which is kind of cool right Uh, the one thing i've noticed too i don't know if you guys have noticed this but have you not noticed that dongles get really hot i don't use any of
1: the popular ones of mine
0: really what
2: type of dongles
0: so i've noticed the ethernet ones get hot whenever you have a usb drive plugged into them they get hot Uh, this uh, power adapter one gets really hot but obviously because it's doing a transformer it's got a transformer in it but i wonder if part of the reason why apple went to dongles is because of heat dissipation what do you think
2: possible yeah i mean there's a lot of current being pumped through those things usb is pretty high for Frequency. Yeah. And yeah. even though the voltage is not that high and I mean the, the total amount of current is not high, but it's very high frequency. So, so yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they generate a lot of heat. Sure. Well, I
0: mean, just generating heat, but like also moving those kind of things out as opposed to having an internal board dealing with that would not necessarily add more heat to the actual casing of the oh, computer. That's what my theory is about.
2: Well, the dongle isn't really doing much work. It's just a conduit, right? It's just mm-hmm. an adapter from one, one type, one port type to another port type. Mm-hmm. So, so, the the use of the use of the dongle is, is or the choice of having a dongle is just determined by what ports they want to put on the side of the machine so it's not there's not too much there that they could have moved inside it's not like it's not like if they wanted to have the what's on the you know the far end of the dongle mm-hmm. be the port it's not like they'd have to put inside the, the near end somewhere inside right it wouldn't be like that so I'm not mm-hmm. I, I don't know that you'd gain that much from that um, no it's just crazy yeah,
0: crazy theory man yeah. but another thing I've noticed too about this laptop is when it's charging it is a lot warmer to have sitting on your lap right? sure yeah um, but I mean like the, compared to the MacBook Air right mm-hmm. like the MacBook the original 15 inch that I had back in when the first when the 15s first came out the first retina ones when they come out 2013 2014 I think 2013 2012 when did they first come out 20, Air, uh, I think it's 2013 anyway
2: something that,
0: yeah because yeah, Diane got one that year and I got one too um, that guy was so hot <laughs> I was practically cooking Cooking my cooking my lap, um, yeah, but uh, not quite a, not quite that hot. If you if you've any an experience with that, but yeah, this 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 little laptop is definitely warmer than than my MacBook Air for sure, sitting on my lap. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in uh, the hotter months of the year, right? If it's if it's tolerable or not. I used to have like a, I don't know if you've ever had one of those things, but I had a, like a tray that I used to put on my lap to sort of keep yeah. the heat away from. Yeah, there. I have one of those. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know, if got rid of mine years ago, but yeah, but I had it for for a long time. So yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. So that's my uh, my my current MacBook uh, Pro 13 and Sidecar on the iPad Pro story, right? So we're now at the picks portion of the show. Um, do you want
1: to go first, if I may? Sure. Mine is is rather straightforward. It is called Derived Data Dance. It's the mm-hmm. Derived Data Dance by um, I don't know friend of the show, but certainly somebody we know uh, at Designated Nerd, Ellen Shapiro. You right. go this microsite. You know, every once in a while we talk about you know delete your derived data, delete your derived data. We even talked about the fecal transplant method of you know, doing other things to Xcode to get simulators in. It's not related yeah. specifically to this, but there's other little like weird tips and tricks that people just like, you, you pick them up as an iOS developer. But not everybody mm-hmm. has been around doing this for years, so mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty nice of like these very simple steps of what do we mean if you're new when we say derive data dance? Go go delete your derived data. Very simple steps <laughs> that are illustrated here. One, quit Xcode. Two, go to the Finder, go go to folder and navigate to your Library Developer Xcode location. Delete the derived data folder. Restart Xcode and number five, surprisingly, a large number of problems are solved this way, which is why we've, we've joked before.
2: It is still kind of sad that after all these years, we still have to go through all this. Yeah. It's, it's mm-hmm. why I've
1: joked ever since the touch bar came out that they should just have a button that does that Yes, yeah. <laughs> automate that for me and, and just, you know, patch over the problem with that. Right. It, it would work almost as, as good.
2: They made it a little easier by putting the link to it in, in Xcode actually Right. Yeah. a couple of years yeah. ago. So you didn't have to remember exactly. Exactly what the path was every
0: time. Yeah, you can look it up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, under locations for those of you driving home. Yep. But preferences locations. But um, yeah, and also the clean clean build folder still to, to yep. this day is another another trick. Um, I remember when I was first learning Objective C back in 2010. It was like you know I would call my sensei and they would say I'm having this problem and you go Have you cleaned yet? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yep. So I would clean and you weren't my sensei back then, Mark. But just so you know. Oh,
2: but I thought I was.
0: No, you weren't. Nope. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, it was just like, and again, it was like, that made no sense to me whatsoever that I'd have to do this clean all the time. But yeah, it was literally every time you went to do a build, you had to clean your folder or whatever. Uh, But these days, like, yeah, when you delete your derived data you're looking at, you lose all your indexing and that kind of stuff too, right? When you do that. Yeah. It's really a pain. Mm -hmm.
2: Do you do a lot of uh, CocoaPod, development pod, development, if you know all those Uh, words in that order?
0: So, you mean, like, do I work with them or do, like, do I use third party stuff or do I write my own? No, do you?
2: write your own pods and, uh, and use the we, development pod approach uh
0: we do for we do for the big corporation but i haven't personally written any for
2: myself yeah, okay yeah, yeah i was i was wondering if you knew of a solution to the problem of when you when you're editing something in a development pod yeah and and the pod is one of the pods for your main project but it's a development pod yeah. and you change something in the development pod the top level build won't pick up the fact that you have a change really unless you clean the whole thing oh. and I mean the whole yeah. thing, so it means that making one tiny little change in the development pod kicks off a ridiculously long build cycle. Yeah, no, you really, really not good.
0: Interesting you say that because, um, as I said earlier, we're we're struggling with some some build times ourselves. But yeah, um, I, I don't know. Maybe it's the way we deal with it. Um, do you do you publish tagged when you go to release? Do you publish a tagged version of the pod or yeah, yeah, yeah? yeah. So yeah. to be honest, with you, I don't know. I mean, uh, we have we have a number of pods that you know occasionally a new feature will. get... Get added to, right? Um, and, uh, you know, you'll need to do, you'll need to, need to do a pod repo update kind of thing. We use, we're using Butler right now as well for that, but, um, you'll have to do the pod repo update to clean out the local repo, like local cached version of it, right? Though, so, um, and you have to do a pod install because your sandbox is out of sync kind of thing, right? Um, but I don't know that, that I'd noticed, uh, anything other than that, right? Because we do have to do, we do have to do, do you not do, um, pod install and that kind of stuff between changes in,
2: in your, yeah. Yeah, so what I'm talking about is there's a special type of pod you can put in your pod file that just points to a local directory. So a local... Oh, on your drive. On your drive, because oh, you're, yeah, you're, yeah, doing, no. you're doing work inside that pod.
0: Yes, right. Yes, but
2: that, but yes. you need to run it inside the top-level project because you need to see the effect of the pod on right, the top-level yeah, yeah, project. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That's the yeah. situation I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, I think I think that, the the like I said, the number of developers who get into that kind of work um, is few and far between on our team. Yeah, right? so, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I don't think I've ever actually. I don't think I've ever even developed anything, or worked on a bug, or anything like that, or a new feature, or whatever that was in that was in one of our development pods. But uh, but I do know you know some of the people I work with have done it right. So and I've done releases, but I had to learn about the tagging and all that kind of stuff. Right? So. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I have I had added some pods to some of my my own projects, and I, I've subsequently removed them because um, either I didn't need the the third party library anymore, or you know it wasn't being developed anymore, and I just. Found a better way to do it you know so like i mean you know like i have things like you know uh, alamo fire and and um uh what's the other one called af networking and that kind of stuff i have some of those and I have some i had some google stuff i think i had to switch from google analytics to firebase for a couple of things right um recently but uh yeah i had added some went through the, with one of my apps i went through the exercise of adding some pods and then realizing i didn't really need them or want them so i ended up having to back them out but, but yeah i haven't really done much uh in the way of writing my own pods but yeah probably something i should do i saw an article actually on um ray wenderlake done by dave okun who was from um he was with the katura project at ibm uh he just did an article on um uh, doing frameworks in uh, swift ui right you oh. have to check that one out although i don't know why would you need to do that swift ui i guess because would you have ui elements in a pod hmm. you could break yeah, up I'm things into sure,
1: different yeah. you know different modules for oh, I don't know, you're like yeah. uh, a recipe app and you know, these are collections of recipes. These are actual individual ingredient cards and right. other things that you might break up in, in some logical
2: way. Mm-hmm. Or, or what a lot of people do, typically larger teams, they'll, they'll have a, what they call a design system, uh, which is a library, not of primitive elements, but of elements that are made from the, the basic elements, but have certain uh, things customized already out of the box. Like, for example, say you have, your designers have come up with a design scheme that always uses certain sets of fonts, and they've named exactly, yeah. the type yeah. of label based on the fonts. Well, you'll just pull out an element rather than pulling out a UI label. You'll pull out a you know um, title type title label or or body type label or something like that. And so so you could have that all those all predefined inside say a pod or anywhere, uh, and then your your users can just use those as a library. It's kind of a standard approach. So that would work in SwiftUI.
0: Cool. All right, cool. All right. Uh, so I, earlier I was talking about uh, some of the things I was looking for in Xcode, but uh, like today, I mean, sometimes I just want to run, uh, I was looking at some keyboard commands for uh, shortcuts for Xcode and we talked a bit, I think we talked about a few of them a couple of weeks ago on like moving, moving entire lines of code up and down and, and moving them and indenting them automatically, uh, which is a, a new one. And one of my favorite commands is command shift O, which if you're looking at a file that you found through uh, stack trace or something like that, and you want to find out where it is actually is, is in project navigator Command shift. Will show you where it is in the in Project Navigator. But the command I was looking for today was I'd read about this in one of these articles and I couldn't find it. But um, sometimes I just want to run the simulator and check a, check a, a particular defect or something out, right? And I don't want to do a full build. And you know, of course, if your build times are getting longer and longer, that's kind of a pain in the ass that you have to do a build. So you you can actually run do a run in Xcode using Control Command R, and it won't do a build, but it'll actually run. The, it'll just fire up the the, um, the previously built a version of your, your app in the simulator, and then you can do your debugging and that kind of stuff without having to run through the whole process of, of building if you're just checking out a defect or something like that, right? So I just thought it was a kind of cool command to talk about. But my main pick today is kind of a surprise, uh, maybe, for most of you. Um, friend of the show, uh, Kylo, Ran- uh, Kylo Loco, uh, who we interviewed during our um, Man on the Street WWc uh, sessions. Uh, he's been listening to the show for a while, um, and he's a fan, but he's also got his own own, his own um, uh, vlog, video blog, and uh, his own show on, on YouTube, and I think he just recently got hired by one of the uh, Fang companies, because he was laid off early in the whole pandemic thing. But what the, the gist of it is here, where I'm burying the lead on is that he's written a one hour long video called An Android Crash Course for iOS Developers. And, you know, I've got a couple of smaller apps that my clients have wanted to do an Android version, of just to get some, some some of the basic features out there and you know there's such it, it's such a trivial thing to do and and uh, you know I poked around with Android I've you know gone through some of the tutorials on Ray Winter Lake and I've you know opened it up and lived through all the various you know iterations of IDEs that they have over there if you really want to find out how awful Xcode is do some Android development for a day and then come back to Xcode and go oh so I'm so glad to be home <laughs> I was joking around with one of my coworkers at work the other day and when I told him I did an Android app the other day I actually built a an Android app on my own after going through this course, I said, "Of course, I wore masks and a glove when I was doing it." Gloves <laughs> when I was doing it. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, so this is a really cool little video because it not only went, it goes through. It's a simple uh, app. You're, you're basically doing a word search. So there's, you have an API with a website, and you have obviously it open. It opens to a, a, a screen. It's got a text field and it's got a button. You enter a word in there. You hit search. It goes over to this, AP, this free API, uh, like an Urban Dictionary kind of thing, and it pulls out various translations of this word uh, with like, you know, some uh, like the word itself, a detail and some, 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 a little bit of metadata about it or how many people like or dislike the, the word. Um, so he shows you how to build what they call a recycler view, which is a list view or table view, which we would call it, and shows you how to set up the API, how to bring in the, the various um, uh, supporting libraries that you need to use to get these things to happen, you know, how to create a network call, how to do things like what we would call, you know, dispatch to the to a background thread or just bring it back bring back back to the main thread for the UI update um, how to do you know number of rows in, in section you know self Road index path you know um, all that kind of stuff that we would we would normally need to know he kind of explains this is the Android equivalent of that right and it's very similar to uh, you know if you're at, le- at least curious I, I, I do recommend that you go through this video it is it's a very well it's probably one of the better ones I've seen done uh, on this before I had uh, I went to a talk once at 360iDev where an Android developer had done a crash course for iOS people, um, which is very insightful, but I think it's different when somebody who knows iOS intimately brings you into, takes you by the hand and leads you into this world of Android development. It's like a guy with a van saying, hey, look, we've got candy, but um, not quite that bad. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this this sort of explanation of, of how to do it. it. And I mean, it empowered me enough to go off and try and tackle one of one of these long-term projects i've had on the back burner you know building build an app for for this particular purpose right so um i managed to take what i'd learned from this and go you know to one of my own apis make a call to it um, and bring in some data and 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 run it and play it and learn learn how to you know play audio in this case uh in my app um, which i'd been struggling with for for many many moons so yeah I'd definitely recommend for those of you driving at home they check out this android crash course for ios developers Questions, comments
2: yeah i'll check that out you know, because we've got a bunch of Android developers at my at my uh, work, and I, I interact with them a lot. But it, mm-hmm. sometimes I just you know don't know what w- the words they're saying mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I well, know we're... that Gradle is their build system, but that's about mm-hmm. all I know. Yeah,
0: I mean, well, yeah. even that. I mean, like, there's a there's a little bit of you you go and deal with your Gradle thing, and you do some some a little bit of XML. There's like the man the Android manifest file where you set things up, and you know, you've yep. used, like per- permissions. Like one of the things you have to do is you have to give your app permission to use. The internet, right? So, mm-hmm. which which is kind of odd, but uh, it's similar to how we do things in, with permissions on in iOS, right? And um, yeah, I mean, how to, you know, I, I mean, there was one little piece missing, and it was just the the because I had Android Studio installed on my Mac before, and I had taken it off, but I'd left the libraries there. When I went to reinstall Android uh, Studio, I had to I had to answer some questions, and I I hit I hit a roadblock, but then I just you know, basically rebooted it, and it was fine. But because um, it realized that, that I didn't have a proper SDK like so if you if you're starting from scratch it's great but if you if you've had any Android Studio installed on your Mac before oh you know, the other thing I forgot to say is this is in Kotlin as well right not in Java so the challenge I had coming back to my to my personal project was that all of the examples I found about you playing audio online all talk about Java not Kotlin right mm-hmm. so so I had to go and sort of sort all that out maybe I'll do a blog post myself for the next bunch of guys who need to do what I was trying to do in in Kotlin but because uh, because it is it there is a there is a documentation site on on Google that's very similar to how we find things code samples and that kind of stuff on in our development documentation right but uh, and of course a stack overflow and all that kind of stuff but all the stack overflow stuff is in Java right so um, yeah it was a, it was an interesting adventure it was a, you know I just Sunday afternoon something to do you know, sat down it probably took me you know most of the day to go through it and give or take all the other things I had to do during the day but um yeah it was it was a good little, little exercise highly recommend it and I have the same problem too mark is we have we're in our in our pods at work we um, we have you know half of our team is Android half of the team is iOS and we work together and we try to keep parity between the two platforms right so we're all dealing with the same APIs and that kind of stuff and the same tasks
1: but yeah we're speaking a different language right yeah it's it's why I've said for quite some time that you know Android and iOS developers are like siblings and web developers are like our cousins <laughs> and then the backend developers are the neighbors on the other side of the fence like Wilson from right Home improvement
0: yeah Yeah, you can't see what they look like yeah exactly yeah
1: yeah yeah um i I think this is Interesting timing because a friend of the show, Joe Chaplinsky, uh, has mentioned on the Release Notes podcast that he shares with Charles Perry that he's been dabbling with Android development as, oh, a, wow. as a way to, you know, extend his uh, sort of contracting the of the world. consulting stuff, right? It, it comes up, you know, from time to time, it sounds like. And they just had an episode um, with Curtis Herbert, who's at Parrots on Twitter. He's the uh, creator of the Slopes iOS app, the one for uh, snowboarders and skiers to track mm-hmm. their runs and everything. they talk on the episode about, um, trying to bring that app to Android and Curtis's, um, you know, I don't want to spoil the episode too much, but he he had, he had some trouble hiring and firing an Android developer to try to get going. And then of course the pandemic has, has made things much more challenging. So it's a good episode. It looks like it's number three, six, seven on the release notes. TV sites.
0: Yeah, we've had a number of developers come through TD that that had both could wear both hats, right? And we have with one brilliant young guy right now that that's very good on both platforms. But yeah, it, it's um, it's kind of it's it's it, it is a religion in a sense that you kind of go down one path and and you kind of just you know never really look at the other very closely, right? Even though the rituals are the same and and you know the, the they're all praying to the same devices, if I can say that, right? <laughs> like, I mean, I've, I've you know, I, I currently don't have an Android device that that. Will boot my my old uh, tablet that I had here. It's but it's gone, right? So um, I'll probably have to go buy a cheap, you know, Nexus something or other to try this out when I when I get serious about it. But uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, like uh, one of the things I learned when I when I went to the MegaCorp is that you know there there is a lot of improvement. Like you know, we could look be snooty and look down our noses at Android, but it uh, definitely has you know it has a big market. And we've talked about this on the show before that you know in Europe and Asia, Android is is Kicking butt taking names, right? Um, whereas in North America, iPhone seems to be the bigger, bigger market share, right? Has that changed? I don't think so, right?
1: No, it stayed roughly the same. That you end up with a darn near 50-50 split in the USA. Um, oh, really? And, and yeah. a lot of the um, the richer countries, if we want to put it, I couldn't think of a nice way to say it, and it's like the closest thing that does. It's not meant to be derogatory, but just you know, Android is available from you know two thousand dollar premium Samsung phones down to wow, you know. $100 uh, El Cheapo devices that you get for free, um, in many cases, from your, uh, mm. your internet provider. So, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that it's still sort of weirdly split, whereas sort of historically here in the US, I mean, besides having just, you know, being like a wealthier nation, which distorts the numbers a bit, um, we're still, it seems even... I don't even know how long it's been since we've no longer had the, you know, get your quote unquote free phone with contract thing anymore, but mm-hmm. it, it still mm-hmm. feels like we, we culturally are living in that. And I think that goes a long ways towards people being like, Oh yeah, I've got an iPhone. It did. It cost me when I don't know. Like I was on a payment plan. It's effectively just rolled into my, um, my monthly payment to the internet provider. And it's I a bit more upfront now because you, you, you see it, it's not sort of hidden in there and it does tail off at some point because it is a distinct payment plan. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it, that's a very long-winded way of saying like there definitely are considerations for you know do you go one platform or the other kind of depending on the market you're talking about right the the north america is not eastern europe as an example so your mileage or kilometerage as we like to say may vary
0: mm-hmm. yeah i'm just checking our checking our plans right now because I, I yeah i haven't looked in the, mar- in the market for a device in a while but i'm just going to the rogers site here because like yeah I, like you've got these zero down phones and i guess it's based on the plan that you're gonna you're gonna pay right for it right like i said Samsung Galaxy, or um, let's see, we have an iPhone XS, an SE here, as an example for zero down, but twenty five dollars a month, right? Or six hundred fifteen
1: dollars, I guess.
0: As, oh, that's a, is that a new SE? Do we get it just? Yeah, we just got a new SE, right?
1: That's right, the, the SE second generation. I don't know what people are twenty twenty. I'm not sure what people are calling it to distinguish it from the old one at three ninety nine US, and it's it's so yeah, it powerful. Like it I mean, even it was interesting watching the the Android blogs and podcasts talk about how this just curbs stomps the you know most of the android market right but everything really? but the premiums wow. just given what it can do
0: yeah so here like for instance you can get a i mean you can buy them outright or you can get a plan right so i think the iphone 7 it looks like the lowest phone you can buy through rogers nine ten dollars a month for a plan which is not bad right or 430 dollars to buy it outright canadian of course that's like 50 us right um and then wow 2700 dollars for a galaxy 7 a galaxy Z. sorry galaxy z you should say um, but yeah, I saw a... You can get a Moto G7 Play for 250 you know, Stop me if you think these are... There's a flip phone. Wow, you can get a flip phone. More than one flip phone. Yeah, so I guess I like get cheapest Android... Oh, $150 for a Moto E6, whatever that is, right? That's pretty cheap. Uh, $150 for for an Android phone. Hmm. You guys know anything about these phones I'm talking about? You could have really made know. up a whole bunch of those phones. I wouldn't <laughs> know. <laughs> there's so many <laughs> different models. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, there's like, there's like four iPhone here and there's like 27 different androids right but uh, interesting yeah I, 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 yeah I hadn't even looked I, I think I paid 600 bucks for my tablet back in the day when I bought it you know I was doing uh, um, I was publishing a book for a friend of mine and uh, I was like doing an iBook uh, it was a, it was a children's book and then but I had to do a kindle version of it so I bought a, an android to proof that anyway yeah that's uh, the name of the name of that tune I guess that's it for yet another 300 episodes Jaime how about that eh so mm. um, yeah so if people want to find you on the intros or wherever they look.
1: I'm on Twitter as at DevTheHair. All right, Mark, if people are gonna touch with you. Markr at SmapSoft.com.
0: All right, I can't believe it's the three hundredth time I've said this. My name oh. is Tim Mitra, and I am T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine, and that for the three hundredth time is where you'll find me. Am I like driving this three hundred thing into the ground? What do think you
2: think? I think you've actually said it more than three hundred times. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that yeah, it was when I'd say it three thousand times, that's when we're in trouble. Yeah. All right, so until next time or next episode, whenever that. That'll be hopefully next week. Uh, We'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.
3: This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. This is friend of the show, Mike Benachman. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. So use the hashtag askmtjc. Once again, the podcast's Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.
0: you go. Three hundred in the can—is it actually three hundred? That's the part I'm not really sure about. I think we're—we've had a couple
1: of uh,
0: best ofs and a couple of where we didn't. We had two shows we didn't publish, right?
1: It I think it gets weird and complicated because we've also had part ones and part twos early on when we split episodes. So yeah, I think we did. We only did one split. I think was it only one right. into two yeah, minute episodes? Yeah. I mean, that's for that's for the scholars to determine, right? The debate. Yeah.
0: Well, according to according to um, uh, Fireside, which is where all of our current Shows are there are three hundred in total so already, and that's with two ninety nine in there, right? So let me go to there's twenty pages at fifteen.
1: I mean, that's probably just page. doing a database count, and if we only had one part one and part two, it doesn't distinguish those. Oh, you know, we
0: we had a special um traveling to San Jose episode that I did once. It was like a twenty minute or fifteen minute coverage of what to do in San Jose, right? For I think the first year that that we had WWC, so that that counts as a, an extra episode, right? And I think there was a there's a number missing here
1: somewhere early on. I think I'm okay with considering there to be 300 episodes canonically, mm-hmm. even if, you know, again, they're scholars, who write their dissertations yeah. about the, the correct means to calculate how many episodes there were of this podcast.
0: Episode 56 was a two-parter. That was the one. I just wondered, have we ever had a title called Driving at Home?
1: Huh. I'm not sure. Not sure.
0: We had a bunch where we stopped putting the, oh yeah, you know, we used to put the number on the show and then uh, Apple changed the rules. They don't want the episode numbers to be published anymore. That kind of messes it up. Although we do say episode blah, blah, blah when we uh at the beginning of our show, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Hmm. Long time... It's a lot of episodes a lot of hours yep. what else is going on what's
1: new and exciting in your corner of the couch did i tell you guys <laughs> that i have so masked singer what another job you got another no, job? Masked singer is done so i'm done with that oh uh, um so the new hotness is ultimate tag and let me tell you why so one the last dance with michael jordan and the 97 98 bulls is done there's still mm-hmm. no live sports and this is the closest mm-hmm. you've got it is hosted by um houston texans uh defensive end jj watt and his brothers the other watt brothers uh and they have professional folks that do like parkour and free 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 running free gliding I free what they call it and they have contestants who are doing like a if you ever watched american gladiators it's very similar in feel mm-hmm. to that mm-hmm. um and they do different kinds of tag and it, it makes more sense than it sounds so i'm not gonna lie it's still in the like popcorn for your brain sort of thing it's not like yeah. i would be watching it to you know be insightful and 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 change my my viewpoint and things. But I think it was it was pretty well done. And it's that or watching Holy Moly, the uh, the miniature golf series is the other closest thing to live sports that's out there right now.
0: Wow. Well, did you hear that the NHL is going to try and do a 24-game or 24-team
1: playoff? I did hear that. So who, who were the the outsiders looking in? Were there like six to eight of those?
0: Yeah, well, normally there's only, there's only like there's four divisions. I think it's six teams per division make it in. So what does that work out to? That's 24, right? What is that? Four times six. I asked yeah. because
1: I don't know. I mean, I guess I could Google. I don't know how many how many teams there are on the NHL. Well,
0: so normally when normally I think I think we were very close to like you know teams that would have had a playoff berth. Um, like it gets it gets pretty um you know usually around uh, April or so it, it ends up um, coming down to the play uh, the playoffs usually start like you know first or second week of April if I'm not mistaken and then they run into June. Um, so we should like we'd be watching playoff hockey right now, right? But um um you know so they they basically the in each division division the top team versus the worst team playoff and then and then they kind of bracket them down into the you know the middle of the run and then they play off against each other mm-hmm. and then east and west play so there's four conferences right so the conferences play off against each other they get down to two to team each and then then it's east versus west and that's how they do the final right and um it's all all of them are a best of 7 series right so it's it's quite a number of games that could be played right so i don't know if they're going to like back in the day like when bobby Orr won the stanley cup the first two series would have been best of five right and then they went to best of seven for the last two series right um there there was like less games to play to actually win the cup right? but now but now you have to basically win 16 games to, to win the cup i believe i think it is right best of seven right um
2: yeah the, i they're don't know definitely what, best of sevens these days yeah but it's i don't two, know how
0: they're yeah there's two
2: wait is it two or three rounds of best of seven and then a couple of best of fives aren't
0: there no no it's it's all, be- it's it's all, best, all best, best of seven, seven? so oh, so okay. it's it's the, the conference they play off within the conference right right Mm-hmm. And then they play off within the. Um, they play off uh, then. They, they So there's like a like an Atlantic division and a, and a like the the people on the West Coast play and the people on the East Coast play. So actually, we just go. Right, you just go to NHL.com and check it out. It was,
1: Google claims that there are 31 teams and the right. Stanley Cup playoffs are normally 16 teams. So
0: oh, 16 teams. Okay, yeah, would you say
1: yeah, 20 yeah. 26, 24 teams? So they yeah, that would, that would make more. sense. So you
0: have four if four teams make it into the four teams make it into each conference right yeah
1: so, so there are seven teams that get left out of this massive playoff
0: yeah yeah it's just a way for them to get but the thing about this is the funny thing is that the money is made um by having butts and seats right oh no i guess it's tele- the tv rights must be where the money is money the money is right yeah i don't know
2: what that split or is. hockey i don't i don't know for the, for the for split? football for, for sure although there's you know there's a hundred thousand people in some of those stadiums every week so yeah but i still think yeah it's got to be it's it's got to be uh, TV, oh, yeah. yeah. Baseball, it's not clear because there's so many games, and not these days, not having people watch games on TV except for the World Series and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think basketball for sure is um, it's TV because the the uh, the stadiums, they're not really stadiums, the whatever they call it, arenas, are, are relatively small arenas. Yeah, relatively small. Yeah, you're
1: talking like fifteen thousand, twenty thousand tops for those yeah, arenas. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. Well, for instance, the
2: Buffalo Sabers were complaining yesterday when
0: this was announced because. They're, they're not going to make it because of their, their hmm. standings, right? Where they were... I mean, if
1: you're going to have 24 teams, you might as well have all 31 teams. Yeah. And just yeah, give, like, kind of the, way, the yeah. best team in the league right now, just give them the first round off or something. It is silly.
0: Yeah, so the Eastern Conference it says here, Boston, Tampa Bay, Washington... So Boston's in first place. Uh, Tampa Bay, Washington, Philadelphia, Flyers. They each have a bye. it says here, right? Is it going to be a qualifying round? Oh, your best of five series, you're right, Mark, they're going to do a best of fives here. So, Spur Penguins, Montreal Canadiens will go against each other. Carolina Hurricanes will go against the Rangers. The Islanders will go against the Panthers. Toronto Maple Leafs versus the Columbus Blue Jackets. So this would be Toronto's first chance to sort of screw everything up, which they do traditionally. Um <laughs> the Western Conference is St. Louis Blues, the Colorado Avalanche, Vegas Golden Knights, which is a new team, Dallas Stars, huh. and the Oilers, the Blackhawks. See, this is where it's odd, right? The Western Conference. Is Chicago in the West? Well, I don't think so. Um I mean if you depending on how many needs. choices you have. So West of me, I guess that uh, yeah, west of me, right?
1: I mean, ideally, they'd be like in a central conference. But yeah, if your choices yeah. are East and West, I think they would fit in the West.
0: Yeah. So Blackhawks versus the Oilers, the pre- Nashville Predators versus the Arizona Arizona Coyotes, Vancouver Canucks versus Minnesota Wild, and the Calgary Flames versus the Winnipeg Jet. Yeah. So, so they, so they got the four teams having a bye into the past the first, this first sort of qualifying round. So I think it's probably because, like, yeah, I mean, th- there's a lot of lot of tussling that happens, you know, in, in February and March between the teams, and they kind of like, you know, get themselves into a position where they have a clear shot at uh, making the playoffs, right? And they obviously had to stop that in midstream because of the whole pandemic thing and shutting down and what have you, right? I guess there's no word on what the NBA is going to do, because wasn't the NBA that shut down first?
1: It was one of the first ones, I think. Yeah. Because um, they, they had the, was it New Orleans that, that showed uh, sicknesses first or um, hmm. the tests that they had for another players, and they had to do all the players there. I don't know. It, it feels like forever ago. It was only like a couple months ago. Really, mm-hmm. gotta look on the bright side, Tim. And I'm like, man, we're already almost at the end of June, and the Seattle Mariners have still not lost a game yet this year. Yeah, that's
2: <laughs> <laughs> the first. <laughs> they're still tied for first place. Still
1: tied for first. Yeah, Mariners. And that's in in which, which in uh, Major which League Baseball. They're they're like the baseball oh, okay. like the bad news bears of of, of baseball. Wow. Um, I guess your Raptors are still. Champions for longer, and my Seattle yeah, Sounders still are still champions. champions in MLS. Yep,
0: it's crazy.
1: It is crazy. ultimate tag. I'm telling you, you got yeah. nothing else so to watch. So there was watch a movie that
0: called, one episode. It was a movie called Tag. Have you seen that? I don't know, it was out last year. Tag, tag. No, I don't. Or this year, I think
1: it's not ringing a bell. Yeah, no, it's called uh, that.
0: I think it's sort of like the, the hangover kind of thing, right? I think it's on It's on one of the networks now where it's coming out as a yeah, it's called Tag 2018. Jeremy Renner, Ed Helms, Jake Johnson, and John Hamm. But I guess you, you, you have that to look forward to,
1: yeah. I <laughs> help, help fill in, help fill in the, the sports gap. There's another movie called Tag from
0: 2015, which is looks like a. I don't think it's the same kind of tag though. Yeah, the description isn't quite like your te- your basic tag. A girl a girl's life cascades into chaos as everyone around her suffers a gruesome fate while she becomes less certain of who she is and her former once once normal. Sounds like pandemic, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Lots of fun. Alrighty. All right. All right. Alrighty, folks. We'll right. talk to you later.